Welcome to Manga Uncovered. We are back with yet another episode. It's another Wednesday. Time seems to fly so par- so fast in this town. Uh, Ron Filipkowski is that guy there. I'm Anthony Davis, and uh, our plan is to uncover the MAGA propaganda, the insane MAGA cult intel from the inside out. Um, Ron, how are you doing? Good week? Doing well. Very busy week. Lots of things going on. Yeah, your, your your Twitter literally has steam coming out of it. As you, you're going to be the last man standing on Twitter. I have a feeling. Um, let's. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, there's all the there's all the kind of Trump's legal problems, but we've also got Ohio and Amendment One. We've also got Marjorie Taylor Greene doing crazy stuff. Mike Pence still being harassed. And we'll talk about all of that stuff. But first, I want to talk about uh, Trump's legal defenses. What is it with him not being able to find a decent lawyer for love nor money? I mean, this guy, John Lauro, is is quite the quite the ticket, isn't he? Yeah, you know, there should be a disconnect between all of the crazy legal theories being floated around the right wing media ecosystem and his legal team. But there isn't. <laughs> it seems like it seems like all these wild theories that get floated around on the internet, his lawyers are saying it on TV. One would hope that they don't say it in court because what we've seen in the past is is there was sort of that disconnect where, you know, Rudy or whatever, they would say one thing to the public, but then they would go into court and backtrack and say something right. different. You know, but these this current crew doesn't seem to uh there doesn't seem to be much difference between the crazy theories and what they're saying is are his defenses. My, um, my concern, though, because I watched John Lauro going on uh, Ari Melba's show, mm-hmm. and Ari Melba, who's a lawyer, I think, just kind of knocked down his whole case, told him exactly, you know, the the holes in in his in his defense, and I was thinking to myself, you know, this kind of trial by media is actually quite unhelpful because. Effectively, John Lauro is getting like really kind of high-end legal advice just by going on television. I mean, is there a chance that actually having lawyers as news anchors is is not helping the case for you know the rest of us that want to see Trump put behind bars? I I think you might be onto something if they actually listen to people like Harry Melber. I mean, the problem is is that you know. Donald Trump is an out of control client. I mean, all of us as lawyers have clients that listen to us, and those are usually the ones that have good outcomes. But then we also have have clients who don't listen to us. And, you know, the bottom line is the client's the boss. As long as he's not asking you to do anything illegal, you've got to take the position that he wants you to take. And there have been many times where I've told, where I beg my clients, don't make me use that defense. Don't make me argue that because that's not the best defense. And they insist on it. And usually bad things happen. And I think that that's what's going to happen here. The defenses that they're floating are the defenses that Donald Trump is seeing on Fox News and Newsmax. And uh, I doubt that they're going to talk him out of it using those defenses. OK, well, let's let's take a look at the clip of uh, Laura meeting the press. Start with this. Is the defense to this indictment he didn't do it? Uh, or he was allowed to do what he did. The defense is quite simple. Donald Trump, President Trump, believed in his heart of hearts that he had won that election. And as any American citizen, he had a right to speak out 
under the First Amendment. He had a right to petition governments around the country, state governments, based on his grievances that election irregularities had occurred. He had every right to speak about the important issues that were taking place after the election. Certainly, Mr. Pence, his vice president, agreed with him that there were anomalies and discrepancies in the election process. And Mr. Trump had every right to petition government and enforce his First Amendment rights. That's why this indictment is an attack on the First Amendment. The government, the Biden administration, would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that President Trump did not believe that he had won the election. They will never be able to do that. And that's why this prosecution is so ill-conceived. You know, I think Donald Trump was probably the only person on the planet that thought he hadn't won the election. I mean, here's the problem. He's saying all these things and he doesn't have discovery yet. He has no idea. I mean, does they might have a statement from Trump's admitting that he knew he lost. Yeah. I'm sure that they do. Yeah. They might have witnesses like Pence and Meadows who are going to say that Donald Trump admitted to them that he lost. I mean, he doesn't know this. He's out ahead of him, ahead of the discovery. And that's a very dangerous place for a lawyer to be. There's also this memo that has now been unearthed. Uh, the New York Times got hold of it. It also forms part of uh, Jack Smith's uh, indictment. It's an unseen memo detailing Trump's plot to right. subvert the results. Um, also, we heard the special counsel have got a search warrant for Trump's Twitter account. I mean, Jack Smith is a, is a ninja at this type of stuff, isn't he? Yeah, they're not done. They're still investigating, as as we've heard. I mean, there's still a grand jury ongoing with some of this stuff to look at more charges to in, and more people are going to be indicted for sure. I would say at least a half dozen are going to be indicted. So, yeah, this is far from over. It's why it's so foolish. But again, you know, as I said last week, this this lawyer is in a catch 22 because Donald Trump is running for president. Donald Trump needs to keep those donations coming in. He needs to buck up his supporters and assure them that everything's going to be fine. And so this guy kind of has to get out there and say all this stuff, even though he might be proven to look very foolish later on. And meanwhile, Forney Willis, uh, they're now saying that they expect to present evidence to a grand jury and ask it to return indictments as early as next Tuesday. Um, and there's a whole bunch of uh, charges there. I mean, you know, it's coming from all sides, isn't it? And and this is kind of clever. I don't, I've personally, I mean, you're the lawyer in this conversation, but I've never really seen, uh, you know, someone like Donald Trump or any anybody who, who is on the receiving end of so many different charges and prosecutions and indictments from different directions at the same time is that unusual very unusual and and here and here's the other problem for him with georgia this is why i have always said that georgia is the biggest problem for him of all because number one it's on tape yeah the, number the two, recording is, is it's recording Number two, it's a state court prosecution in a state where a governor does not really have pardon powers. Right. So, you know, this is one where Trump cannot pardon himself if he wins the election. He cannot uh, keep Georgia from enforcing their laws. And Brian Kemp, who the two of them can't stand each other. But even if Brian Kemp wanted to go out of his way to bail him out, he can't. They have a commission that handles pardons that takes you know years to act so and and the governor doesn't have control of that commission so uh yeah this is and and she's talking about charging him with rico which 
could end up being the most serious charge Trump faces out of all of them. So uh, this this is we've all been frustrated by how long it took for Georgia to be prosecuted. And I think if she had just been filing the simple charges based off the phone call, they would have come much sooner. But it's clear that good thing, good things come to those who wait. It seems like she's just going to hit him with an avalanche of heavy charges. Now, Trump wants um, one of the cases moved to West Virginia, doesn't he? <laughs> that's the that's the uh, election fraud case. Um, let's just uh, see a, a clip of the, the same lawyer uh, pushing this argument. You still going to pursue a change of venue? Absolutely. We we would like a diverse venue, a diverse jury. Um, Do you have any that, expectation uh, that, that will be granted? The, that reflects the, 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 the characteristics of the American people. Um, it's up to the judge. I think West Virginia would be an excellent venue to try this case. Speaking Very of the judge. Very close to D.C. and a much more diverse. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen, is it? Look, every lawyer in America, including myself, has tried cases where our clients are black or Hispanic in a 90% white community. Nobody ever complains about that. We've tried cases where our clients are Democrat in a overwhelmingly Republican county. Nobody cares about that. All of a sudden, everybody cares about Donald Trump. You can't change venue based on the political makeup or the demographics of the jurisdiction. That has never been a ground to change venue. It will not be a ground now if it if, if the Supreme Court or any appellate court ever said that you can move a trial for those reasons, there would literally be hundreds of thousands of people wanting to move their trials all over the United States. It's not going to happen. That's number one. And number so why how can you move a trial if if the pre, the publicity in your community, let's say I'm here in Sarasota, Florida. If, if a case I had got a lot of attention and a lot of local press so that everyone in our community knows about it, but you know you go 100 miles up the road and they don't know about it because it didn't get national publicity, that's when you move a trial. You don't, but in this case, it doesn't matter where you go. Everybody knows what's going on. And, and the idea that West Virginia is more diverse, well, what does that mean? You know, West Virginia, you're moving it from a 50-50 black-white community to a 100% white community. Uh, that doesn't sound more diverse to me. But they're, they're ultimately they're seeking more Republicans in the jury, aren't they? Right. That's, that's really what they're looking for. And, and but, West Virginia, by the way, yeah. of every state in the United States, voted most for Trump than anybody. He won by almost 40 points. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is classic Trump thinking, isn't it? It's a bit like trying to find more votes after you lose the state, right? And going to Brad Raffensperger and saying, just find me one more than we than we have. The idea that you can shift, you know, whatever whatever are these kind of points in, in, in time, these moments in time where an election is over, for example. Let's just right. shift it over here, and then suddenly that works for Donald Trump. He's so used to getting his own way. I mean, that's just the way he's run his whole life. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't want my trial here. Well, he's perfectly happy with his trial in Fort Pierce, you know, in a white community, a Republican community with Judge yeah. Cannon, who he appointed. He's per that's that's fair. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but but it's not fair for him to be in DC. Look, the law is the law, and, and you gotta follow the law. And he's not gonna get this judge recused. He's not going to get the trial moved, no matter how much he kicks and screams. So 
you know, hopefully all of this stuff will not delay the trial, but it doesn't seem like the D.C. judge is in, in any mood to slow things down. Uh, Matt Gates has, uh, has a brilliant plan to try and get Donald Trump out of all of these charges, and that is to bring him into one of these um, uh, committees where he can be a whistleblower, because, of course, whistleblowers have immunity. Let's just hear Matt Gates arguing this case before we discuss it. Here it is. If President Trump came in and said, I'm here to give you testimony uh, about the witch hunt, the abuse of criminal process, that Congress has legitimate oversight equities to resolve. And if he were to say things to us, um, we could immunize him for that conduct that he were to discuss. Does it, does Again, it take a vote or does it happen? But these, these are not these are usual times. Is it a committee vote? Is it the whole House that has to vote on immunization? And when was the last time this statute was used? I don't know when the last time it was used. I can say it can be any committee or subcommittee that can uh, grant immunity. So we could even bring him into the subcommittee chaired by my good friend and colleague, Andy Biggs, the crime subcommittee uh, that has jurisdiction over some of these activities of the Department of Justice. And if Trump were to essentially become whistleblower, a whistleblower, you have to think about it almost like whistleblower protections. Uh, Trump, the ultimate whistleblower, uh, potentially uh, the beneficiary of congressional immunity. Not even trying to hide the fact that they're trying to circumnavigate the law. Yeah, I mean, there's the politics of it and there's the law. I mean, when I listen to Gates talk about the law, it's absurd to me because Gates never really practiced law. I mean, technically he practiced law for, I think, two or three years where he was supposed to be doing like open government law or something like that. The bottom line is his dad was a very powerful, very wealthy person. I think he was Senate majority leader. And that Gates with the law school, he had no intention of practicing law. He did never did anything as a lawyer. And then he was immediately elected to the state house and on up. So when he starts giving these legal opinions about the way criminal cases work, I just laugh because he has no clue whatsoever. I think he doesn't care. I, I think this is all theater. This is all for show. This is all gaslighting. Um, when he says that a witness who testifies gets immunity, what that means is, when that whatever that witness says in that testimony cannot be used in a criminal prosecution it does not mean when you give them immunity that something that's going on over here you get immunity for that no you get immunity for your testimony that day okay that cannot be used against you but going in and talking about a case doesn't immunize you from pending prosecutions so that's absurd but the other interesting thing is he took a little shot at kevin mccarthy there very subtly because what he was saying is you know unfortunately the house is in recess and you know if we really had you know a good speaker who is really motivated he would call us all back there to do that but he's not so what he's what he's doing there is he's getting kevin mccarthy's phone to ring off the hook because all these people who watch charlie kirk's show are now going to be calling kevin mccarthy going why the hell aren't you holding this hearing to save trump so you know once again he's just a pain in the ass to the leadership and, and these are just desperate measures. I mean, they really are kind of running out of options. And so they'll, they'll try anything, whatever they can possibly find. But this really exposes the, the, the kind of Republican corruption, doesn't it? That uh, anything, no matter how immoral, is fair game. Yeah, the, that's the politics side of it, which is, 
you know, just it doesn't matter. A- anything he does, it's all a witch hunt. It's all politics. It's all that Biden is out to get us and get out to get Trump. First Amendment. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. Any any proof that's out there, anything that he's done, any charges, none of that matters. It's all political because Trump could do no wrong. Right. But, you know, the more the more that they're denying and the stronger the evidence is, the more foolish they look to the American people. I am still of the opinion, and I, I think I might be alone in the in the Midas Touch group, in thinking that I still cannot see Donald Trump going to prison, serving time. I, I just feel like there are enough loopholes in the American justice system to delay, delay, delay. I, I don't think he would win the election based on current polling. I think his support is far smaller than he claims and far smaller than the media gives it credit. But I just can't get my head around the idea that this guy, a former U.S. president, will be put in a federal prison. I just can't get my head around it. And I worry that the jury won't either. It's hard to get your head around because it's something that you could never imagine. But, you know, when you think about it, we talk about the world a lot. Um, You know, it's not that unusual. You know, France's president went to prison. There, There have been presidents of European countries that have gone to prison before and been prosecuted around the world. So even though that's never happened here, well, we've never had somebody like Donald Trump yeah. as our president. So I I do think, I do believe he's going to go. Um, and I and I think maybe they'll let him stay out and pending all of his appeals and all of that. So he'll be this just this broken man, you know, out there waiting for his appeals to be decided. But if he goes, I mean, it's definitely going to be a club fed scenario where you know, people like to joke about the other inmates, you know, dropping soap in the shower and stuff, but that's not going to happen. I mean, he's he's going to be housed by himself, basically. And the irony of him saying, you know, nothing like this has ever happened before in the history of the United States. And, you know, when he's talking about the witch hunt, and of course, as you say, no president before has tried to overturn the election and bring about a coup against his own country. Yeah. I mean, if anybody could have done it, it it would have been Richard Nixon in 1960. Yeah. You know, where uh, that election was even closer than this one, much closer. And there was a lot of shenanigans in Chicago. There there was plenty of evidence on the table. Had Nixon decided to challenge it, that would have been a real mess. Um, But he didn't. I mean, even a crook like Nixon, as bad as Nixon was, and Nixon was a terrible person and a terrible president, uh, even he didn't try this. But but did Nixon have enough of a moral compass? Because eventually he resigned. That's right. And, yeah. and you know, Trump would never resign. He's, but not you know, res- he's not resigned to the fact that he lost. He's not resigned to the fact that he, his activities are criminal. And maybe in the in the in the, you know, 30, 40, 50 years since humans have evolved, we're now living in this post truth environment where whatever Donald Trump says has to be the truth as far as he's concerned. But here's the other big difference, though, yeah. is that the lead, the Republican leaders of Congress in 1973, Barry Goldwater, Howard Baker, on and on, went to Nixon in person, into his office and said, you must resign. We are not supporting you anymore. You have to go. And that's another big difference between 1973 and now. There's nobody in Congress willing to do that. You know, the closest would probably be McConnell, but, you know. Yeah. He can barely, you know, find his way to the Capitol building right. right now. 
Um, let's let's uh, move our thoughts to Florida just for a moment because uh, the state attorney, uh, Monique Morell, has been removed by Ron DeSantis uh, for not being tough enough. This is your jurisdiction. Tell us exactly what's gone on and then I'll, I'll play her statement. Yeah, now you want to get me mad, right? I mean, yeah. I was in a good mood until now. <laughs> just let it all out, Ron. You know, look, let me just put this in context, okay? I... Uh, first entered the Florida state government working in the House of Representatives in Tallahassee for the Ethics and Elections Committee on staff in 1992. And I've had a number of different jobs and political appointments, including appointed by Ron DeSantis to the commission that appoints judges. So I've held a number of different offices in the state government. My Florida State constitutional law professor at Florida State University Law School was the head of the commission that drafted the Florida state constitution in 1968. So I learned about our state government and our constitution from the guy who wrote it, okay? And Florida was never designed to have a strong governor. It was all, there's so there's more checks on the governor's power in Florida than in the federal government, much more. I mean, we elect cabinet officials. We have these judicial nominating, so many checks on the governor's power. And Ron DeSantis, in his first three years in office, spent most of his time trying to figure out ways around those checks. But in the last two years, he's just decided he's not even going to worry about all that. He's not going to worry about the Constitution. He's not going to worry about the law and the precedents and the way things have always worked. He's just going to do what he wants to do because he realizes at this point, he has figured out at this point, that there is not anyone in the Florida legislature on the Republican side, House or Senate, who is going to stand up and oppose him or speak out. Not one person will speak out in the Florida legislature against him. That's a Republican. And since the Republicans have controlled every part of the Florida state government for 30 years, every judicial appointment, appellate court, Supreme Court, all of them are all Republican. They're all all the appellate court judges in Florida are Republican, except for maybe two or three that maybe they allow, allowed to be appointed in South Florida, a couple Democrats. So this is what Ron DeSantis knows is that he can do whatever he wants. He is going to do whatever he wants and no one's going to stop him. So sitting here in Florida, I really feel like we're in such a helpless situation right now because there is nothing that we can do to stop this man. The courts won't stop him. The legislature won't stop him. He's in his final term. He's got three years left. What, what can we do? I, I'm not sure what we can do to stop this man and his rampage. He let's be clear what he did, what he's done in this particular case. He suspended uh, the Orlando area attorney uh, today, this morning, saying she was clearly and fundamentally derelict in her duty. Uh, she's a Democrat. He removed her from her job as chief prosecutor for Florida's Ninth Judicial Circuit Court at a brief news conference in Tallahassee. It's the second time in a year the governor who is running for the Republican presidential nomination suspended an elected Democrat from office. I mean, did he suspend her because she's a Democrat or because she's black or both? He's apparently had some beef with her. She's been an outspoken critic of his for a long time. He's complained. He has told uh, people to dig up dirt on her. He has pulled lots of her cases that are off. You can always, in any prosecutor's case in a big city, like the other prosecutor that was removed from Tampa, she's from Orlando. 
You can always find criminal cases in any jurisdiction where somebody got a break. And usually it's because the officer made a mistake during the investigation or the witnesses were reluctant and didn't want to come to court and testify. There's any number of reasons why people get good deals. So if you want to if I if you want to sit me down with 10,000 files from the Orlando State Attorney's Office from last year and go through them, I can easily find you five or six where somebody got a deal. But it doesn't mean that the prosecutor was lenient. There's so many factors. And that's what DeSantis has done here. He's cherry picked a handful of cases where somebody got a good deal. And he's saying, oh, she's soft on crime, so we're going to remove her. This woman was elected with 67% of the vote. 67% of the vote. It wasn't even close. So you're so after wiping out Florida's uh, two black congressional Republican districts in, Jerry, in his gerrymandering scheme, which the legislature once again tried to object to, and he beat them down. So you wiped out two black congressmen. Now you've just removed the black state attorney for Orlando after removing the Democratic state attorney in Tampa. And you can see why I'm upset. <laughs> I, I can see you are upset. Listen, I'm going to play her statement. This is her on, 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 the, on the steps of the courthouse talking about this. Her language is very interesting. Let's hear what uh, Monique Worrell had to say. All right, well, good morning. I think this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, If we're mourning anything this morning, it is the loss of democracy. I am your duly elected state attorney for the Ninth Judicial Circuit, and nothing done by a weak dictator can change that. This is an outrage. One year, three years ago, I was elected by the people of the Ninth Judicial Circuit to lead this circuit. And yes, to do things unconventionally, to do things differently. But I didn't hide, I didn't say that I would do things and I didn't do them. I didn't say I wouldn't do things and not did them. I did exactly what I said I would do. And that is what you want from an elected official. She calls him a weak dictator. This is the point. If her community thinks she's soft on crime and is not doing a good job, they vote her out. Yeah. Or or you impeach her or whatever. This is not you, you don't have the governor just go. Oh, I don't really like how this elected official is doing their job down in this community. I'm just going to take them out. I'm just going to remove them from their office. This is insane. So unfortunately, the only check that we have written in our Constitution for this type of stuff, which DeSantis knows full well, is they get a trial in the Senate. So, so, you know, the Senate's not even in session. So what maybe they convene in six months and they have a trial. And then, of course, they all do whatever Ron DeSantis wants anyway. So. He knows that no one's going to stop him. He's just going to keep doing this kind of stuff. He'll he'll remove somebody else in a few months. But this Republican lawlessness, it, it, it completely flies in the face of their kind of law and order policies, right? The idea that, you know, they claim to be the party of law and order. And yet for everything from trying to overturn an election at the very top to trying to remove people in an undemocratic way, there's so much irony which you and I can intellectualize, but do the people, you know, do the do, do people in Florida realize how dangerous this is? That how lawless this is on behalf of Ron DeSantis? 
You know, I, I try and talk to people about this all the time today. You know, I was in the courthouse and I said, man, did you hear what DeSantis did? And, you know, all you get, even from Republicans is, you know, you just get, oh, yeah, I know he's he's terrible, but they don't say anything. You know, nobody will say anything. And uh, that that's what really sucks. I mean, Democrats complain, of course, yeah. but I'm talking about what really we're a Republican state right now. You know, the only thing is our state senator is a very powerful state senator, Joe Gruters. He was head of the Florida Republican Party. He was Donald Trump's Florida campaign chair. If he would speak up and say something, maybe maybe uh, DeSantis would think twice, but he won't because he because he's got his own political ambition. He wants to be a congressman, so he doesn't want to cross DeSantis. Look, the Republicans in this state are making a killing right now. They're all getting appointed to boards. They're sh- the money is coming in. They're all getting wealthy. So not only does DeSantis have them in fear, but he's all they're also all feeding at the trough. I also have a theory that the Republicans, not all Republicans, and we should be clear when we talk about, you know, Republicans, about MAGA Republicans, people who have been radicalized or who have become have extremist kind of immoral views, such as Ron DeSantis being a dictator, that, that a lot of these MAGA Republicans internally are actually far more aggressive and angry and racist and xenophobic than they would have you believe because they're trying to fit into society where necessary and so they keep it quiet. I want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene next because during a Q&A session at her Gordon County Town Hall, the Republican MAGA congresswoman responded to a constituent's call to execute political opponents after another constituent asked a leading question about the penalty for treason. I'll show the clip and then we'll talk about this. And I want to, rem- oh, yes, sir, I'm going to do one more. Yes, sir. Uh, what is the penalty for treason, okay? We know treason has been deleted, and nobody having an answer for it. Something has got to be done. Right. It's treason. Our country, our constitution, has been stomped on the belief. Yep. It's written um, according to the Bible. Like you said, we've got to get praise for the country. Well, I think we're ended on a right note. <laughs> Listen, thank you guys for sticking around. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was quite hard to hear, but did it didn't he say like shouldn't we gas them or something like that? Yeah, I think like execute them or something along those lines. Um, Look, just last week on this show, we played the clip of the guy at the uh, Trump rally saying, kill them all to the about Democrats. And uh, and the the interviewer for right side broadcasting saying, I agree with I agree with you. You know, so here we have it again. You know, look where these people aren't thinking up this stuff on their own they're no. they're they hear that on podcasts because i know because i listen to those podcasts where treason and the death penalty and all of that is being thrown around for biden or pelosi or whoever i hear that stuff all the time but you know it's not supposed to get into congress it's supposed to stay on the internet and and contrast what how marge handled that with how john mccain handled the guy who said obama was a muslim right. and mccain immediately stopped him shut him down and said no that's not who we are we're not we're, that's not where we're not going to say that kind of stuff sit down and shut up versus marge who said well this is a great way to end 
a good uplifting way to end our rally. This shows how far the Republican Party has been broken between that John McCain time, which was uh, 2012, to now. And it also is an example of what I'm saying about how people like Marjorie Taylor Greene keep these very extreme views in as much as possible until there is a moment where they can leak out. And it's happened multiple times with her where the truth about how, what she really feels and how, you know, that kind of... It's, it's like the violence thing. You know, I do find, as a, as a European, I do find the US, you know, a very violent place, even movies and stuff. I'm just like, you know... To me, like after 9-11, when we saw the visual of, of those towers crashing and people running and screaming, in my mind, I was like, Hollywood is never going to make a disaster movie ever again that depicts this type of uh, disaster, right? And yet it makes them all the time. Like, I find it, I find it fascinating that, that the US really glorifies violence and there is all this push to rile people up and and fear-mongering and it's just there's a lot of aggression and and aside the fact that half the people own firearms as well which is not very helpful i mean it's it's a it's not a it's not a great recipe for for peace and this is why i fear that the genie will never go back into the bottle in terms of going back to those john mccain days where you know he was able to be a diplomat and negotiate and communicate I just cannot see how we will ever get back to that and put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, it's Donald Trump has broken the Republican Party, you know, and he brought in a lot of people that were new that um, are just you can't they're not controllable in a reasonable way because it, that wasn't you know, when when McCain did that, I I remember it very well because I smiled because I had done that many times at local Republican meetings and I'm sure many people like me did county chairs, Republican club presidents, executive committee chairs all over the country. We're always having to keep the the nuts from taking over the asylum, you right. know, and and so that was just a, a, a quite common thing. But but now those people are running the party at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level. And Marjorie Taylor Greene. Who you know? She's the deputy speaker, ago, Ron. She's the deputy speaker right. of the United States. And a few years ago, she had a Facebook Live QAnon show, yeah. and now she's the right hand man to the Speaker of the House. I mean, it's crazy. You mentioned Trump. Here is an example next of you know why people who are so vile and and really have no moral compass should not be in public office because Donald Trump has now disrespected the memory of Bo Biden. This is in a speech in New Hampshire that was ugly even by Donald Trump's standards. He, he began to tear into Hunter Biden, mocking his history and history of drug use and the crowd seemed to love it. L let, me, let me play this clip and we'll just analyze this new low. Indict me, he's right, great balls. But so they end up. So when they want to keep something, they say, oh, man, they got Hunter again. You know, at some point, Joe is going to have to say, you know, the sun thing just isn't working out. Do you agree? The sun thing. The sun thing's not working out too good. It, all he had to do is pick up the laptop. Didn't the guy call him like 11? Pick up your laptop. Pick up your laptop. I, I wonder where that cocaine came from. What happened? 
That was the quickest investigation I've ever seen. I mean, referring to Biden having a son problem. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. These are the, these are the, this is the new post-truth low where we are, we are living in a place where there is no morality, there is no civility, and elected officials or former presidents in this case just do not know how to communicate in a, in a civil and normal fashion. Yeah, there's so much vileness in that one short clip. There's so much there. We could do a whole show on that 30-second yeah. clip. I mean, you know, Trump has always used, you know, throwing tomatoes, telling people to throw tomatoes at the press and, you know, all that kind of stuff or beat up that guy or he's always done a little bit of that. But it, his speeches are getting I watch them all. They're getting darker and darker and more nasty and vile. Yeah, he was telling, you know, Chris Christie fat jokes right before that. Right. Um, you know, talking about Pelosi and her husband and all of that. First of all, a few things on that clip. You have sweat, sweat gate, first of all, as you can see, he's covered in sweat, Yeah, you know, which he he's very concerned about his personal appearance and how he presents physically. And so he knew that he was sweating because he said even during his speech, uh, the press is going to say I'm sweating, but it's because it's 100, 105 degrees here. Well, you know, I watched the other speakers. They weren't sweating. Yeah. So um whatever yeah. so that's number one but no you know throwing out the cocaine stuff look i've already said i i don't understand why hunter biden is in the white house you know they're they're at, and at events and on overseas trips with the president i i get he's his son i get he's his father i get he's trying to help him out and keep him off drugs and all that he can be at uh you know in delaware and all that but look we're fighting for the survival of our republic hunter biden is is aside from his age, Joe Biden's biggest political liability right now. He does not need to be in the White House. He does not need because because it takes this argument away, because the only reason why they're making this argument, alluding that this cocaine might be Hunter Biden's is because Hunter Biden was in the White House yeah. right before that, yeah. which he should he shouldn't be. So I, I just it, it it's a little distressing to me that um, he's still around and still so present in the day-to-day -day life of the president of the United States, given the fact that he also is under pending federal criminal charges. I just think Joe Biden doesn't want to make a big thing of it. And therefore, by treating his son in a normal way and having his son in occasionally thing. for normal events, he's just trying to normalize. Because, you know, as I've said to you before on the show, Hunter Biden is a victim of drug addiction. It's a disease. He's, he's suffered. And he is obviously trying to rehabilitate himself. He will always be an addict. And so he needs the support of his family. And he needs to try and be in environments where he's less likely to use. And maybe Joe Biden thinks that if he keeps him close, then that's... You know, I'm, I'm sure that's the thought process. Gives him, gives you know. him more chance. Um, let's let's uh, talk about uh, some good news out of Ohio. This is uh, yesterday. Uh, voters in Ohio, um, they rejected a closely watched proposal known as Issue 1 that would have made it more difficult to amend the state constitution, delivering a crucial victory to pro-abortion rights supporters ahead of the November vote on enshrining reproductive rights into the Ohio constitution. Um, just tell us a little bit about this before we before we look at the video. Ann Coulter had a funny tweet about this today um, where she said that uh, 
by the time Republican men realize what they're doing with abortion, there won't be any left in office because they'll all be voted out and they'll, they'll be wondering what happened. Um, she pointed out that this was the seventh state, the seventh state, Republican state, that has had a, a, an amendment on the ballot of some kind pertaining to abortion that was rejected by the voters, by their own voters. They're like Republican, right. largely Republican women teaming up with Democrats to reject these things. So this is a, a this was something that was supported by Jim Jordan, J.D. Vance and several other people in Ohio, activists and state government people who wanted to make it more difficult to amend the Constitution. And it was and they realized that it's specifically targeted at abortion because they know there's two parts to this. Number one, they don't want any kind of legal. They don't want um, the people to bypass the legislature, which they've got a heavily gerrymandered legislature supermajority. This allows the people using a referendum to go around that and to pass abortion rights themselves. And they don't want that to happen. They want to block that. That's number one. But number two, they don't want to allow the game, which is a game that both parties play, of putting referendums on the ballot, which are specifically designed to boost turnout. And, and so abortion being on the Ohio ballot in 2024 is going to get a lot of Democrats and independents to show up and vote. They might not be enthusiastic to vote for the president or the governor, but they're going to show up to vote for the abortion amendment. And while they're there, they're probably going to vote Democrat. So they're also trying to block that as well. Uh, with all precincts reporting, 58,000 absentee and provisional ballots outstanding, the measure was failing by a margin of 57 to 42%. Uh, I really do feel that, um, you know, there is a bit more understanding of this kind of manipulation of laws at the local level, including gerrymandering and everything that goes with that. I think people are opening, people's eyes are being opened to the fact that there are loopholes that Republicans are taking advantage of to try and, you know, maintain control or prevent people from having their their free vote and, and just the devaluation of, of democracy. Yeah. And there's no more direct democratic process than a ballot initiative. Yeah. You know, Republicans love to say, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Well, ballot initiatives are not republic in nature. They are direct democracy efforts. Right. They're the people saying, we are going to bypass the state legislature because we don't agree with what you're doing and we're going to vote for something ourselves. And you could see Republicans who have spent so much time and energy rigging the game with gerrymandering, with campaign finance laws, all of that to rig the game to give them super majorities hate this kind of stuff because the people can, are going around their game. I wish we I wish we would do it in Florida somehow. But this was my fear stuff. about why Donald Trump could potentially win again, even though he doesn't have the support of the, you know, the popular support. There are so many loopholes in the system yeah. that Republicans are all over this stuff and they are working tirelessly to try and, you know, re redirect efforts to to manipulate the electoral college. Yeah, I mean, the Electoral College itself is kind of a, a weird rigged system. I mean, I went through one time trying to figure out, get, I, I crunched the numbers after one of the elections, 16 or, or 20 or something like that, where um, I tried to figure out how few of the popular vote you would need to just barely eke out an Electoral College win. You know, if you just got like 50% in, 
in these 16 states and you could pull it off. And it was something like you could actually pull it off with like 39% of the vote. You could actually win an electoral college victory with 39% of the vote. So, yeah, I mean, without the electoral college, Republicans would never win another presidential election. and, And they know that. Let's uh, let's see the clip. Here it is. The left attacks our values every day. I see it and you see it. And they threaten Ohio's way of life. That's why we need to get out and vote yes on issue one. Voting yes will protect Ohio's values by making sure special interests can't buy their way into our state constitution. Raising the bar for constitutional amendments just makes sense. If you're a parent, a taxpayer, a gun owner, a farmer, heck, every hard worker in Ohio, please join me on August 8th vote yes to protect our constitution he's, you know, a, he's a creepy creature isn't he you know if you want something to pass you don't have jim jordan as your spokesperson for it that's not the best way to do it because people think oh jim jordan he must be popular in ohio he's not popular in ohio his district is the one of the most gerrymandered districts in the country if you look at it it's like squiggly crazy line it basically links up every tiny rural town in ohio into one district and gives it to jim jordan you know which is not representative of the rest of the state so when they trot jordan out who quite honestly is an embarrassment to the ohio republican party and you have him be one of the lead spokesmen for your amendment that's not smart strategy and he still wouldn't put a jacket on. I mean, is it the is he unpopular because of the you know the, the child sexual abuse cover up? I mean, across That's the board. That's part of it. I think it's also that he's never gotten a bill passed through Congress that he's right. sponsored. He's never accomplished anything. He can't point to any tangible legislative achievement or accomplishment in his entire career in the House. Uh, all he is is Donald Trump's lapdog, Donald Trump's little pit bull. Uh, that's all he is. And I, I think the people in Ohio realize that. I, I don't think he could win an election outside of his district. I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene could win an, an election in 90% of the House districts in the country. But again, she's got this district up in northwest Georgia, which is almost all white, rural. And and you end up, when you carve out a district like that, you end up with people like Green and Jordan. Uh, Mike Pence is still being harassed by people wherever he goes. Uh, again, nobody really understands his role in the uh, in the election. And because Donald Trump continues to put out this propaganda and has basically turned on Pence, let me just show this clip because it's kind of funny seeing MAGA Republicans harassing Mike Pence. And just listen carefully. It's quite quiet to what he shouts back at them. Read it. Yeah, Pence has been in a protective bubble since January 6, 2021. What I mean by that is he has not come in contact with MAGA. I mean, at all. He hasn't been to any Trump events. He won't even go near events where Trump is also there because he knows Trump supporters will be there. So mostly what he's doing are, you know, button down events with mostly college graduate business type people, old people, small diner chats. He he's he's intentionally avoided going to any event where there's going to be a lot of people like CPAC who are Trump supporters. And so 
you see here, this is really one of the one of the only times when any MAGA people have been able to get near him. And, and, and that's mild. I mean, if Trump walks into a seriously hostile environment, like a county fair or something, where there's a lot of Trump supporters, it will be much uglier than you just saw right there. And uh, I think he knows that. And that's why he's trying to avoid those, those situations. Uh, Pence could be a crucial witness with Jack Smith's case, right? The most crucial. He be. is now kind of hinting that he will do whatever the law requires of him when it comes to giving evidence. Yeah. Did you read into that statement like I did? I think Pence has said a lot more to the grand jury than he's letting on, and he wants people to know. Yeah. And I think that's always been in the back of his mind that someday that's going to come out, everything that he said. And in fact, you know, I think that that's one reason why the government's requested a protective order over discovery, because I think that once Donald Trump sees what Mike Pence said and Mark Meadows, by the way, also, he's going to blow the top of his head is going to blow off. He's going to go absolutely nuts. And what the government doesn't want Trump to do is after he gets discovery, go out to his next rally in front of, you know, 10,000 nutty crazy maga people and start roasting mike pence do you know what he said about me to the grand jury because that's going to put mike pence in a very dangerous situation and that's exactly why the government wants the protective order is that exact scenario and i think that that's what's going to happen there's definitely a whole lot more evidence that we haven't seen that is you know and this is the reason why i think smith is a little smug is because there is so much compelling evidence that we are not yet privy to. And with we've seen earlier, you know, Donald Trump's really very base-level lawyers. They're not going to know how to handle this. They're not really going to have a leg to stand on. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, uh, Tommy Tuberville for a moment, because uh, he was interviewed and uh, he had some very kind of strong opinions on Ukraine. I'll show the clip and then we'll talk about it. Conflicts, it's taken a long time for politicians to get the point. Yeah, we're not getting the point in Washington, D.C. I haven't voted for a dime to send Ukraine. I'm for Ukraine. Russia should have never done this. I was in Ukraine three months with uh, President Zelensky before this started. They were already fighting to that point. But at the end of the day, it's a junior high team playing a college team. Uh, They can't win. Uh, We can throw all the money we want to. uh, But unless we send NATO and our troops over, which we're not going to do if I've got anything to do with it, then then there's no chance. So they're trying to get the everybody's eye off the real problem over here, and that's the Biden administration and the Democrats. They're a total disaster. I mean, he, he's been in hot water recently. He's not the smartest guy. Tell us what, what's going on here. Um, you know, it's always difficult for me to decide who the worst Republican senator is. <laughs> I mean, there's so much competition from... Yeah. You know, Marsha Blackburn, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz. I know people are going to, in the comments, are going to list some that I forgot here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just so many horrible, wretched people in the Senate. And along comes Tuberville, who may be worse than all of them. Because, you know, we we have dumb senators, and he's very, very dumb. And we have senators who don't know anything, and he doesn't know anything. His whole life, he coached football. Okay, so 
That's why every analogy like that one, he has to go to junior high versus high school. Everything's football. You know, it goes back to football because this is all he knows. And he wasn't even that good of a football coach. And I've had this argument with people and he's not. He wasn't. Yeah. OK, so um, but even worse than that, he is a 100 percent Trump sycophant. He is pro Putin, regardless of the qualifying language he tried to use there. That's all BS. Yeah. He is 100% for Russia. He brags about the fact that he has never agreed to give one dime to Ukraine. One dime. He He's proud of that. You know, it's not like, you know, hey, I'd really like to help him out, but we don't have the money. Maybe some, some of the more moderate senators have made that argument. Tuberville is just like, I'm damn proud I, I left hung them out to dry, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, holding up the military promotions over abortion. This is just a not only is he stupid, he's just a horrible person and a bad guy. And what's also sad about that is that he replaced Doug Jones in the Senate, who was an excellent senator, civil rights attorney. So to replace like a guy like Doug Jones with this guy is just horrible. And by the way, also cost Alabama probably getting Space Command, uh, Tuberville's right. antics. Yeah. It, why is it always the poorest states that seem to have the worst representation? Yeah, you know this is something that that worries me a lot. I think about you know Mansion and West Virginia, for example. Yeah. I mean these, and and Kentucky as well. I mean these places are so poor. Yep. And desperate because they're either former mining towns there or, you know, whatever. But, but you know, life has not been good for these people. And yet they, they have representatives in both the Senate and in, and in Congress who are completely benign in their desire to make do anything for their for their constituents. Because the people are easier to manipulate. Yeah. You know, when you're less educated, when you have less critical thinking skills. And when you when you are undergoing hardships, these politicians understand how to exploit that and how to make uh, other people responsible. You know, Joe Biden is the source of your misery, the globalists, yeah. you know, Klaus Schwab, uh, the U.N., you know, it, it's all with China. You know, it's it's never like our local government people who aren't doing anything to help you are the problem. It's yeah. always some external factor that's to blame. And they're very good at creating these straw men, these boogeymen to blame their problems on. Republicans are masterful at that, at identifying problems in the world, blaming them on their political opponents, offering no solutions and winning elections. <laughs> and meanwhile, their people are living in food deserts Yeah, where they, they, they can't even buy food. Yeah, um, but it wouldn't occur to them to blame Tommy Tuberville. No. Instead, they're blaming, you know, some banker in Sweden. And also migrants and blaming, yep. you know, there's a whole kind of xenophobic rhetoric attached to the America first policies. And, yep. you know, it's it's so blind. You know, these things serve nobody. Um, don't have long left. I want to talk about Alan Dershowitz. I always find this guy completely fascinating, you know, denied he ever got a massage anywhere. Uh, this is he's a he's a former um, uh, lawyer for Donald Trump, obviously. Um He's claiming now that he's been cancelled. Um, just tell us a little bit about Dershowitz before I show the video. I mean, you know, there was a time I grew up in Massachusetts when Dershowitz was at his zenith, yeah. when he was an incredibly respected constitutional law professor. 
He handled a lot of criminal appeals, high profile appeals. He got the conviction overturned for Klaus von Bülow, which was a very famous murder trial where he allegedly uh, poisoned his wife. Um, so Dershowitz had a very distinguished career up until the point where he started hooking up with Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump. And ever since then, it's sort of gone downhill. The problem for Dershowitz is he lives on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, I have been on Martha's Vineyard many, many times, grew up very close to Martha's Vineyard on Cape Cod. And so I'm very familiar with the fact that Martha's Vineyard is a very liberal community, a very educated community. And so they don't take very kindly to Alan Dershowitz being on Newsmax every night, making excuses for Trump. So he's always complaining that he has no friends now. He doesn't get invited to dinner parties. Uh, you know, uh, they won't let him go, go here or do this. So the, the newest one that he's just complaining about now is that they won't let him sell his books at the book fair out there. <laughs> so he's, all, he's always complaining about yeah. how he's being persecuted. How, how the mighty fall. Yeah. Um, just count how many times he says the words book fair. Here it is. You know what the irony of this is that I used to represent people charged with murder and people would, yeah. I never got ostracized. I mean, and I was never for murder or anything, but you dare represent some other, Donald Trump. You're going to be ostracized. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how they've made it. Occurring. Okay. Let me give you an example of what's occurring while we speak. Uh, a mile from here, uh, Martha's Vineyard has its book fair. I am probably the man who's written more books than any person in the history of Martha's Vineyard. And I probably sold more books than anybody who's speaking at the book fair. But I've been canceled. My books are not allowed to be sold at the Martha's Vineyard Chilmark Book Fair because I defended Donald Trump. Until I defended Donald Trump, my books were featured every year at the book fair. I couldn't care less about Professor. that. I sell thousands of books. Yeah, that's a, but you think the, the people of Martha's Vineyard would want to make sure that a book fair doesn't become a book unfair in which people are canceled because of exercising Sixth Amendment and First Amendment rights. Shame on the Chilmark and Martha's Vineyard book fair. I made it seven, but are we allowed to include uh, book unfair, which was brilliant? You know, I've watched him cry like this like a hundred times in interviews and podcasts. I laugh every time. I mean, yeah. it is just so funny to me to listen to this guy cry about how badly he's persecuted when, you know, the stuff he's saying in defense of Trump is idiotic. It's like he's a smart guy. He knows the law. Like where he's coming up with some of this stuff that he says to defend Trump, it, it's beyond me. So it makes me think like either he's just completely sold out He's lost his mind or Trump is funneling a bunch of cash to him to get him to say these things. But, I have a fourth option. I think know, it might be compromise. I think there's compromise. Well, you, they might have some dirt on him. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. because, you know, he was going to Jeffrey Epstein's yep. private island. He claimed he had never had Good any point. contact with with um, underage masseuses. And that has been contradicted. And there's got to be there's got to be some evidence or something that is the reason. Because, as you say, he was highly respected he and was? he really has now picked the wrong guy. And anybody who knows the law knows that the guy who, who tried to overturn the election is probably not the one to keep defending. Um, OK, finally, let's talk about Megan Kelly. She's been celebrating the loss of the women's soccer team. Just tell us why. 
I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, when when the team lost, of course, I follow MAGA on social media. You know, all their podcast, all, everything just lit up. They were all celebrating. Like, literally, I, I was going to do a story on it, but I just decided not to because there was just too much. It was yeah. literally like th- thousands of people were rejoicing. And the whole argument behind them hating the women's soccer team, of course, is Megan Rapinoe and her outspokenness. It's the fact that um, what MAGA says is they're all lesbians. They, none of them like men. Uh, they won't sing the national anthem. Years ago, some of them kneeled for the national anthem. So there's all of that. They supposedly hate America. They hate their country. Uh, they demanded equal pay with the men's team. That bothers them, too. So there's all of these things where MAGA has decided that the women's soccer team is the enemy. So which are all ridiculous reasons. None of them are valid. And so, you know, for them to root against or cheer on America losing, their national team losing because of these things shows that they're not really America first, they're right wing first. They refused to honor anything we stand for. And therefore, I'm thrilled they lost. Good. I'm glad you went down. You don't support America. I don't support you. It's so crazy, isn't it, that like taking the knee or not singing the national anthem is now considered not supporting America. You know, never mind overturning an election or, or, you know, any of these kind of very serious unpatriotic moves by senior Republicans. It really is. It really is the kind of the real downfall of, of the of the true free patriotic United States expressing yourself protesting in ways that don't disrupt an event yeah is america Freedom. that's what america's all about right so the fact that you would condemn somebody for that is un-american uh we have to finish but uh what a pleasure always enjoy your company for an hour uh he's ron Filipkowski on twitter and you can see all of his i mean you must post at least 250 times an hour which is very <laughs> impressive to me you know I, I i either that or you have irritable bowel syndrome and it's and that's your new office i don't know but uh keep up the great work ron and uh we'll be back next week i'm anthony davis you can find me on twitter and on threads and uh don't forget to hear my podcast each morning five minute news and on sunday i'll be back hosting the weekend show we're back on wednesday next week at the same time have yourself a really good week. Bye for now. 